as close as anyone else. He's a managing partner, CIO at Headwaters Volatility. So, Matt, once again, it looks like we are making a little push towards that low range of the VIX, which has been so resilient at 20. What are you looking for and what might get us through it? Well, I think, you know, the, the big thing to look at with the VIX is to translate that into what does it mean from an implied distribution standpoint? And so to boil that down, it's how much can the market move up or down? People tend to think about volatility as sort of a downside measure because it tends to spike when people get scared and when the, when the market goes risk off. But really what you have to look at is what is it telling you about the potential for the market to move one way or another? And a way to put that into context is with the VIX right here around 21, um, in the next 38 days to the April expiration, you need about, you know, between a five and a six percent move either direction to break even. Now we've gotten pretty close to that in the last couple of sessions. So one of the reasons why the VIX remains supported is that the market is actually moving, that the realized volatility is clicking in at this relatively high level. Um, and you know, you couple that with a lot of people carrying more equity beta than they're necessarily comfortable with and you get sort of a persistent bid for vol, and that's why the VIX has had a hard time falling through 20. So what will it mean then when we actually do break it? Obviously, you know, there are different scenarios in which that could mm -hmm. happen, but one of the things we've talked about here is there are other factors here keeping VIX elevated um, yeah. than this way we kind of think about it as fear or bearish worries, right? I mean, to some extent, yeah. to your point about uh, beta and leverage, that uh, volatility might be getting bid as a function of how bullish people are in, in this uh, way. Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. I mean, another way to express a long position or, you know, replace a stock ownership position is to, you know, to buy volatility in the form of buying calls. That counts too, right? Now, puts don't, aren't the only thing that count. They tend to weigh have more heavily into the calculation of the VIX um, but that is part of the function of the volatility market. So as people start to think of other ways to express their equity risk opinions and you know, other ways to, to take advantage of the situation, you couple that with a low interest rate environment where now the 10 years up, up above 150, and that's quite a move just in the last 30 days, it starts to change the relative value framework around. So start, you know, getting a little bit sloppy pouring of water out of one cup and into another, but um, you know, uh, it creates opportunities for a lot of people um, like us, and it also, you know, creates something that, that people need to focus on from a risk standpoint. And one thing I would say to the, the audience out there is before you think about hedging, make sure you like what you own, right? You don't want to hedge something you don't have a high conviction in owning to begin with. So I would say step one in hedging is make sure you like what you own before you start buying or contemplating hedges on it. And walk me through why you say that, just because if the <laughs> vol is expensive, you might just be better off if you're not highly convicted on something, just shaving off your holding, your long holding? Yeah, you know, if you own $100, $100 worth of, uh, of SPY or of, of the S&P exposure and you're a little bit uncomfortable, you know, some people might say, well, maybe we'll layer in owning some puts against that. You know, there's, there's a cost to buying those puts and it may very well be the right trade, but you know, step one is to think about, well, maybe instead of owning $100 worth, we should own $95 worth. And then we're a little bit more comfortable with our exposure. And, you know, I, I think in this market where the VIX is high and volatility is persistently bid, you just have to be careful about how and where you're carrying long volatility. Okay. Matt, uh, when we look overall at the relationships over the past 
uh, call it month roughly, a little bit less than that. Mm -hmm. You mentioned rates and the role that's played in some of this volatility uh, that's been particular to the NASDAQ and NASDAQ vol yeah. elevated as a result. When you look at volatility, do you see the same type of dynamics in this market where the leadership on the equity side and indexes has pivoted, where the NASDAQ's kind of the weakest one still? I mean, we got highs in the down for several days and the S&P now making one yeah. today. Does this look like a sustainable relationship to you uh, where we might have a bit of a flip-flop uh, on the leaderboard? Yeah, you know, it's it, the higher interest rate component brings in a very interesting challenge for everybody, but in particular for a lot of the, the bigger institutions. Um, you know, the, the interest rates are used not only as a relative measure of, uh, of carry or interest that you can earn, but it's also used as a discounting function for the future stream of cash flows or a growth rate or things like that. So it starts playing around with um, the formulas that translate into richness or cheapness. Um, so, you know, I think what you what you have to really take into account here is that in a rising interest rate environment, it, it could be showing you inflation, reflation, it could be showing you, you know, sort of a liquidity event in the, in the market. And that's kind of what the market's trying to figure out right now. But it's a big cauldron of relative value. Um, and Tesla is, you know, a great example of, of a name that's gotten whipped around tremendously by, you know, being a, one of the poster children for the growth factor. And so, you know, what, what kind of value do you place on the potential for future growth of a company like that? Mm. Um, and it's, it, it's really, you know, that's a lot of what's driving the big swings in the market up and down. Are there opportunities, are there things in particular right now, Matt, that look exploitable now that we have this different relationship? Uh, NASDAQ vol elevated relative to S&P vol. Uh, curious if you have yeah. uh, any trades that you want to share or anything that looks to you like a dislocation or something that uh, is, uh, is new in this sure. regime. Yeah, you know, I think back to the relative value theme, one of the big trades that I think makes sense for investors is as you're making money in things like financials rallying with rates rising um, and you've seen tech get punished, um, you know, a lot of that has reversed itself in the last 48 hours or so. But as you see those sort of trends in, in motion there, if you're aware of it ahead of time, and you know, hey, look, I just outperformed by 5% in you know, my financial stocks. Maybe I should pare that down and buy some of the stuff that's been bludgeoned by the same move. Um, you know, be active, be, be somebody who's aware of the, the moving pieces. I, I would, I'm always wary of over-trading a portfolio, so I, I don't want to advocate for, for gunslinging and, and for moving too fast, but you know, just be aware of what's moving in your portfolio and, and take action on it when, when there's anomalous moves. I mean, Tesla up and down 20% and you know, a lot of the moves we've seen in the financials is, uh, you know, th these aren't normal moves. They're not driven by fundamental miscalculations. These are, these are big liquidity events.